Listen, I think that you're using the fact that it's a Thursday as an excuse. To drink iced tea? To not drink this Chilean wine with me. It tastes horrible. No, it's fine. It's not the best one that I've gotten, certainly. It's just not to your taste. It doesn't taste like grapes or candy. You have been spoiled by fizzy fake Italian Lambrusco. (laughs) You have been spoiled by candy, sparkly candy wine. And? This is a real wine from the Trader Joe's line of Chilean (laughs) wines. That I've chosen because it's thematically appropriate mm-hmm. to Authentic. this movie set in Chile. No, you know what I just wanted the whole time? What I wanted the whole time watching it? I wanted a goddamn Pisco Sour. That's Peruvian. Chilean too. <laughs> John and I'm Bethany and this is home viewing a podcast where we watch all the movies in our library in alphabetical order and this week we watched Neruda from 2016 Chilean movie a movie about Chile that is from Chile director Pablo Lorraine starring Luis Nieco starring our boy Gael Garcia Bernal who lives in Chile but is from Mexico he lives in Chile yeah I think he like he lives there. I thought we own him now. No. Oh. The United States will never own Gael oh. Garcia Bernal. Well, he's big on the, the circuit um, for everyone he's, now. He's around. He's around. He's a global man. Listen, I'm... I, I Do I do I want to... I've never seen... Okay. Now's the time where I admit I've never actually seen an M. Night Shyamalan movie. That's okay. Wait. No. Never. None, None of them. I haven't seen The Sixth Sense. I haven't seen Unbreakable. None of it. I've seen... Or four. I haven't seen Signs. I haven't seen The Village. Signs. The the Red Riding Hood one? I don't know if that's him. I haven't seen The Last Airbender, thank God. Um. <laughs> no fair! You never had to see that in the movie? <laughs> Man. But I do want to see old. I do want to see old. Oh, gosh, Being completely no. honest. Okay, then we need to watch an M. Night Shyamalan movie so you don't want to see old anymore. <laughs> it has so many people that I like in it. It has Gael, it has Vicky Creeps, it has Alex Wolf. Okay, so we're going to watch it has the du- a movie. It, it, it has Eliza Scanlon from Little Women and Sharp Objects. It has the girl from uh, Jojo Rabbit. It just doesn't... It's... It looks... Listen. Anyway, so... I want to see Gael Garcia Bernal get wrinkles. <laughs> he already does have some. Shh. Shh. We don't, it's, it's a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. No. This 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 is a movie that we saw in theaters with some friends. This we, being Naruto, we're not talking Naruto. about old anymore. Yeah, we saw Naruto in theaters in 2016. I think a little before the election, actually, it, or it, Oof. It, or maybe a little after. I don't really remember. It was around the time of the election for sure. Cool. And uh, great. It was. I was very happy because we were watching a Spanish language movie, and specifically a movie about. A poet that I really like. Yeah, those would come around a lot in the circuit. Yes. You keep saying the circuit. (laughs) You keep saying the circuit like that means something. (laughs) But after this, I think a few months later, we watched Jackie, too, which is also a Pablo Lorraine. And then last year, 
at the Atlanta Film Festival, mm-hmm. we went and saw one of his movies, also with Gael Garcia Bernal in it, that was just buck wild and so good. Called what was it called? Emma. Okay. Yeah. yeah, about the dancer. Yeah. Slash pyromaniac. Very, very good movie. Also had Santiago Cabrera in it, who's a guy who I forget is in fact Chilean because he just plays American so often lately, it feels like. Specifically, he played American in Big Little Lies. Listen, there's a lot of connections <laughs> everywhere, flashing everywhere. It's also fun because Louis Nieco, the guy who plays Neruda in this, plays like the character who introduces cocaine to Colombia in Narcos. Oh, no. But only for, like, an episode. <laughs> this movie is set in 1946, right after World War II, the start of the Cold War, and it is arguably a lot about U.S. imperialism. You sound really jazzed about that. I am jazzed about it because I feel like it's it's a thing that gets brushed over in American history courses in high school. Yeah, no, there was no is how the U- discussion. Is how the U.S. tried to dominate the Western Hemisphere. I mean, there was a little bit of it. But... A little bit, but they always talk about it in the context of like, but we were the good guys fighting against those evil Ruskies and the Reds, mm. you know? It's it's just it's just so wild to me because it's like, he is a Senate leading, Neruda was a leading senator in the Communist Party, a thing that was allowed to exist in that country until... This pro- populist president got into power and the U.S. said, hey, you need to not have communists anymore. Because, you know, when, well, I was going to say Daddy Yankee, but that's a different thing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. So when Uncle Sam comes a calling with that aid money, you, you gotta, you gotta do it right. You gotta do it whatever. It's, uh It's one of these things where it's like, South America was such a potentially good breeding ground for, like, actual leftist thought and moves, and it was all forced into violent struggle because the U.S. was so anti-communist and anti-Russian. That's too heavy. Let's talk about the movie. Do you ever think about how what we think of as socialized healthcare in the U.S. is just, just healthcare, healthcare yes. in the rest of the world? You sound like a meme. I, okay, yeah, maybe I am a meme. <laughs> maybe I'm a little bit of a meme. What is life, but if not a meme? Maybe I've had half a glass of red wine already. Wow, congrats. You know? You know? This movie makes a lot of really interesting stylistic choices throughout, I think. I think... There's 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 a one that I'm like, is this a stylistic choice or is it just the budget? But like, you look at the way the rest of the movie is shot and you think that it has to be a stylistic choice, <laughs> right? Because like, this guy is... Well, you're the one who was like, it must be the budget. And I was like, oh, I kind of like it. On the back... And then I remembered I had made the exact same point that you made when we had started watching the movie. And I'm like, oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I love the car projections. Okay. Yes, let's get into it. So these car projections look like they're from an old Hollywood movie where the car is clearly not moving, but right. it's all projected onto screens behind them. But like you can practically see the screens. And this is every time they flatness. go from a major point to another major point. Yes. Every every scene that's in a car, there's these kind of projections. And it kind of reminds me of when you pan, when a movie pans back and does like a little map almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Going from one, like, like I said, like a dot to a dot. Because it's like kind of isolating the characters within this larger landscape and there's this thing about this okay the thing about this movie 
is it is a biography and also a fiction. Yeah. It is. It's really not. It's very it's much so, into it, the it, biography part. It honestly, takes aspects of Naruto's biography. It it, it kind of markets itself at first as a biopic, and then as it goes yeah, further it in and deeps further into the layers, it becomes very clear that it's a fiction. It's we called it a postmodern noir earlier. Who's we? You called it a postmodern noir. You said it reminded you of noir movies, and I was yeah. like, it's kind of a postmodern noir. Well, then, you just huh? have to put postmodern on everything. I but this is objectively postmodern. This is the characters realizing they're being written. <sighs> it's the narrative folding in on itself and unfolding from itself. The character literally dies and is revived because of the needs of the narrative. But like, is he revived? No, because he never existed. He's a fiction. And because he's a fiction and that Pablo created, he's alive. It's the point of the entire uh-huh. Pollution arc. Is he only exists in opposition to Pablo and only exists through acknowledgement by Pablo. It's kind of a poem in a okay. way. I didn't really understand all the French stuff. Why were there so many French people? Why were there so many French people? Yeah. Because he would because France is more accepting of political exiles. Oh, so it's just like the whole French artist thing? It is, it is. Pablo Pablo Picasso lives in France. Pablo is a friend of the worker, etc. Did Pablo Picasso really live in France? Yes. He really did. He lived in Paris. Huh. He was an They expat. didn't like him in Spain? Spain was under fascist control uh, at the time. Yeah. It, it, Lest you forget, there was that I thought he pulled a Benjamin Franklin. Spanish Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that other movie. The, um, the... Yeah, which is coming up soon. So we oh. <laughs> That's... That's going to be a good It's going to wreck me. Another post... It's a post- I have not seen that And that a is time. a postmodern fairy tale, to be clear. All these Latin American directors, it's all postmodernism. All of it. That or magic realism. They are two sides of the same coin. And not all, not all Latin American directors do magic realism all the time. Now, is Roma perhaps one of the best Latin American films? Uh, a perfect example of magic realism in some ways? Is it? I think so. I think it's certainly debatable, but I think about the scene where she does the pose that none of the men can do, specifically... Yeah. I think about that. It's got the tiniest bit of magical realism sp- magic realism sprinkled into it. It's definitely postmodern, absolutely, but it's it's probably one of the most straightforward. It's it's only coming in on the edges. I would say that Itu Mama Tambien isn't magical realism, but it is postmodernism. I would say that Gravity is just a movie. What does Gravity have to do with any of this? Alfonso Cuarón directed it. I'm listing Alfonso Cuarón oh. movies right now. Harry Potter Definitely not magical realism. <laughs> that w- That's just magical. Azkaban is the most magical realist <laughs> film of all of the Harry Potter movies. It is Harry Potter with a Latin American sensibility and you will not take that away from me. It definitely has some noir to it too. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about that that scene with, where he walks up to the door and you see the shadow of his hat like oh, projected against it. And then as yeah. he walks closer to the door, you can barely see the outline of his face through the glass. Man. Oh. Gael Garcia Bernal. He's a good detective. He, he play, Policeman. It, he's playing like the outsider character in mm-hmm. this too is the thing because the main characters are all the communists that are hiding Pablo Neruda. Okay, we haven't even gotten to the basic plot conceit. All right. Pablo Neruda, 
it, in case you haven't heard of him, if you listen to this podcast, you were probably at our wedding. He's the poet that we both quoted in our vows. It was really cute. Bethany found it really embarrassing. It was adorable. Sure. It was adorable. <sighs> anyway. He was a Chilean. He was the son of a son of a peasant. Went on to become... Weren't we all? Yeah. Went on to become a pretty famous poet and then a senator... And then was exiled from Chile, had to go into hiding because of his communist affiliations. Because as as Gael Garcia Bernal's narrator puts it, when the president of the United States says you need to kill your communists, you kill you kill your communists. Which, er, that's like in the first five minutes of the movie. So you can tell this goes hard as hell, <laughs> Flaka. Um, <laughs> this, I, I don't, there's, and there's, there's. We were talking about stylistic choices. So the projection screens for all the car scenes, one of them, makes it feel very much like a movie made in old Hollywood. But one that I really love, a lot of times there are these conversations between two important characters that are cut over... They last anywhere from like two to like five minutes. And it's one continuous conversation, but it's unclear how long the conversation actually took in time in the movie because it's constantly cut back and forth without any interruptions of the conversations. Like suddenly they'll be in the office surrounded by like a bunch of other functionaries, like the inspector and the president. And then it's cut directly to them sitting next to, standing next to a window by themselves. And it cuts back to the desk with the office. It's cutting back and forth. And I think it emphasizes the unreliability of the narrative in a way, because it's, because it's like, Maybe this is the president's perception in one. Maybe this is the inspector's perception in the other. But then you have the same thing happening when Pablo has his conversations too. Is like he'll be in the big dining room table and then they'll cut to the outside balcony or something like that. It's something that Pablo that happens when Pablo and the inspector have conversations with other people. And it's even more interesting when the inspector eventually catches up with Pablo's wife and... Because you see, with Pablo, it's always like a continuous thing. He is always going from one location to the next to the next, and it looks more like this is a, uh, this is like a meeting that went for an afternoon, and the conversation is being stitched together from all these disparate parts. But with the inspector, the conversation is always happening from two separate angles. So, like you have him standing on the balcony with Pablo's wife and then you have them sitting at the table inside and it cuts back and forth between these two continuously so that you're not really sure when or if this conversation is even taking place. Well, it really emphasizes the main character versus the side character aspect. So you're always following Naruto around when he's the focus, but then you get those cuts because he's a side character, so he only has like uh, minor chapters about him. Even though he's the narrator, which right. is what makes it so interesting. Right. And then you have Naruta as he's being chased from safe house to safe house, leaving behind the detective novels for him to read. Ugh. It's it's like a cat and mouse game between a writer and one of his characters. Mm-hmm. And it's that's really brought to light with that conversation between Pablo's wife and the inspector. When she literally goes and calls him out, you're a supporting character. I'm a supporting character. Pablo's the main character. Was that his wife, though? That was his wife. His second wife. Because uh, remember, he has his first wife that's the Dutch woman who Gael Garcia Bernal co- gets to like come and talk on the radio and denounce him. And then she actually says, 
actually no he's a wonderful and she tricks him and says actually no he's a wonderful beautiful man who hasn't betrayed anybody it's wonderful because there's this entire thing pablo is kind of presented as an ugly person i would say when like well i mean i feel like the film goes out of its way to emphasize his physicality that the the fact like that he has maybe like not the most attractive physicality Mm -hmm. but that he's irresistible because of this aura around him as the revolutionary poet as the writer of the love of the verses like the like what's it uh and so when when his wife says say it in your other voice say it in the poet's voice yeah yeah it's like just as and it's the same kind of thing as like when he just wanders the street and like the hats and stuff even though it's totally unsafe for him technically he's never caught Mm -hmm. because he's not naruda when he's on the streets like that he's his actual character Uh which they even emphasize because pablo naruda is his pseudonym Mm -hmm. and they talk about when he first tries to flee the country his country id doesn't match his passport before they even put the Mm -hmm. put the like check on him at the border and they don't let him out because it says ricardo reyes on his country id and pablo naruda on his international id is that his real name yeah i think so I, i might be getting the name wrong but yes it's he has his it has his birth name on there and it's like when he's just wandering the streets without the air of the poet around him he's he's not naruda in a way it's oh there's layers to this thing i feel like i've been talking non-stop for 10 minutes about this you have (laughs) (laughs) i will say there's one can i do a preemptive fashion corner no you're being very rude to me you're being okay (laughs) sure well i think about when they're in valparaiso and they put him in the suit and they say, no one's going to think you're from Chile in this suit because he's supposed to be like a Central American eccentric. Uh, and he's wearing that white linen suit with the oh double breast and the giant hat. And it's he's sticking out like a sore thumb, but he doesn't look Chilean. He looks he does look like a Central American millionaire or something like that. Just the style choices. Wearing like a tropical ass suit. <laughs> Ugh. Also... This movie luxuriates in, like, the natural beauty of South America in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I think. In, like, both the cityscapes and, like, the yeah. countryside. Ugh. It, mm, I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. Well, it's almost, it's almost hard to tell between when they cut between, like, France and South America because of how, like, uh, the style of what, The architecture. Like, yeah, it's, of Europe very much influenced, like, the towns of, like... South America. I really saw that in like Peru and like the the square and stuff. And yeah, absolutely. You look at all the squares in Latin America and they look exactly like all the plazas in mm-hmm. Spain. It's Yeah. Oh, I love it's it. Sad and cool. <laughs> sad it's sad. It's very depressing and very cool. They even like do mention that. Like they talk about the Malpache tribe and he talks about looking up the Quechua dictionary and stuff like that. Like because that is the contradiction, isn't it? These countries they are in are themselves the products of imperialism. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, our power structures came from colonialism and imperialism, but we're trying to reject imperialism and colonialism when it's embedded in our very beings. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds sounds kind of familiar, don't it? Oh, this this movie. Okay. It's like, 
incredibly slow and also incredibly fast in some ways. You know? Because it's a chase and it's high adrenaline, but it like luxuriates in those quiet moments oh. between. I didn't feel any adrenaline this time, but that must just be because we've seen it before. <laughs> I... I like how he hides him. I mean, we talked about how he hides in plain sight. I think the best example of that is at the brothel when he's got the wig on. Oh my gosh. Yes. After after making the cabaret after the cabaret That's a singer. Good scene. That's a beautiful scene. Oh. And then the cabaret singer giving the interview, like saying that no, I'm never actually gonna betray him because he brings beauty to my world and he made my world beautiful for like one night. Like that that was like I mean, to put it really harshly, Neruda kind of was his own, like, dictator in a way. Like, the people, like, loved him and would do anything for him in this movie, like... Yes, and he... He was the Absolutely abused that in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, because he's not presented as a good... As a great dude. Mm -mm. He's presented as someone with an important voice and someone who inspired people. But he's presented as, like... Mm -hmm unfaithful mm-hmm. dabbling in prost- in pro- in prostitution as an alcoholic mm-hmm. and like as enthralled with his own ego you know it's almost like he created the inspector like as a way to self-criticize himself yeah like these are the things that people won't write about for me so i'm gonna write them because everyone remembers Los Most Tristes de Versos, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. specifically and he was getting annoyed at that at one point <laughs> oh no he gets t- he gets very tired of mm-hmm. it well, I mean, I think about the woman at the party who's like, I clean the to- I've cleaned the toilets of the bourgeoisie since I was 11. So when communism comes, are we all going to be equal to me or are we all going to be equal to him? And it's just, mm-hmm. they're all so uncomfortable Oof. at the table. But the thing is, Pablo grew up poor. And so he knows what he, he has to say. You'll all be equal to me. And it's like, oh. God, what a good movie <laughs> oh man it's just like i feel like i'm burning out on talking about it because i've just said so much already Ugh. one of the funnier parts of this was the random like photo ops that were set up everywhere to like <laughs> kind of like signal to the party like yeah. <laughs> it was just like these fake backdrops and he and his wife would like pose in front of them or mm-hmm. he would pose in front of something like that existencia sign or yeah whatever. and like and when he, they're taking his new passport photo with the beard and yeah. everything <laughs> like there's like many times where he just kind of stops and it's like it's weird it's weird when someone like chooses to include something like that in like a movie yeah but it's I don't think it's that weird because it shows that so much of it is image work and edifice. Right, in a right. Way. And it's, it, this movie does the thing that a lot of, and this is this is a term in film studies, but a lot of like, quote, third worldist films do where you can see the conflict leaking in at the edges but never exploding completely outwardly on the screen. Mm-hmm. Because you always see people getting rounded up and put into the trucks. You yeah. see, like, I think about them walking through the city as they're rounding up the communists and like, the inspector doesn't know that Pablo is just two storefronts over or anything mm-hmm. like that. And then they they drive around the presidential palace and honk so that he wakes up 
just to annoy him. Yeah, it's wild that they never show anyone getting like executed or that being a problem with in the like the central like story. But, but that's because you know because the viewers already know that it's happening. Right. I mean, they literally call out the prison guard who would become the dictator of Chile in like 20 yeah, years. Yeah, but I feel like most movies would have some dramatic scene where most, someone gets shot. Most and Hollywood you, movies. Yeah. Most Hollywood movies. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't... Hollywood is all I know. But you don't need to say that because <laughs> right. the, the audience in Chile already knows. Right. They already know. And, oh. Just, it's just the choice. It's, it's... Well, it's like one of... I don't... Okay. Nolan is an entirely different filmmaker. Where is this guy? <laughs> but, okay, you never actually see the Nazis in Dunkirk. Ooh. You see their bullets hitting. Mm-hmm. You see... At the, at the very end, you can see some outlines walking up to Tom Hardy's plane. But you never actually see them because you don't need to be told that they're there. We all know what the threat is. We all know what's happening. And by the absence, it kind of forces the viewer to imagine what's happening for themselves. And, like, it makes it hit a little harder in some ways than just, like, the sensation sensationalization of, like, some gore or something happening on screen. Mm-hmm. You know? We don't need the jackboot-clad baddies to know that they're there. Because we do know. Ugh. I don't want to watch Dunkirk. Ugh. This movie makes me feel things. It makes me... <laughs> Which is what all good movies should do. Do you have any more thoughts that you would like to share? Because I feel like I feel like I have monopolized this episode. Um, I guess you could keep going on your fashion corner. Giles, you didn't talk, Giles. Yeah, Giles' little hat. Yeah, Giles' hat, his fedora. It's he's got a good fit. And the haircut and the mustache. Mm-hmm. It's. Catch me showing up at my partner with the picture but of him in this movie. <laughs> you have to, like, like. what's interesting is everyone else's outfits are so muted. Mm-hmm. No one has any bright or, like, colorful outfits, really. Even mm-hmm. at the cabaret, it's all the same kind of, like, tones. Like, the pink muted. And there's, there's like, some jewel tones in yeah, there. But they're all, it's not they're all kind vibrant. of drab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, oh, my, like, it's trying to sit, like, It's show. artifice. An edifice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's... <laughs> like it's not a happy time it's not a bright time exactly. these are people like celebrating the end of the world essentially like the only bright scene is the costume party at the beginning yeah and even that it's like naruda dressed as lawrence of arabia but then like taking all of his stuff off Ugh. and like shedding that mm-hmm. you know oh and then there's the horse the horse is good there's good horses in this movie there's good horses yeah there's so, quite a few um, <laughs> random dogs, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The dogs in Naruto's house, especially. Yeah, and in the square. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about the color palette. I feel like there are some scenes that are filmed much warmer, and then there are some scenes that are filmed so starkly. And I think the scene in the presidential palace, it's like with, shot with almost like a wide-angle lens, but like a very like flat digital video, as compared to like all the intimate scenes in the apartment where there's like a, a lot of like depth of field and like soft focus in the background and hard focus in the front it's just uh, a scene that i really like is when they're on the roof and pablo's like and they're like you can't be up here pablo's i'm like they're not gonna find me like he's he's just like relishing like that one opportunity he's getting to like stand outside and be outside 
and it's almost like he's taunting the police to come find him. You know? Mm-hmm. And you... there That is kind of a question throughout the whole thing. Is you never know if he actually wants to be found or not. Because he kind of acts like he does. That's true. But then at the end, he's... He, he makes it out and is so far removed. I don't know. I thought... But is that is that really the like the ending either? You know, I mean historically that is the ending. Oh, okay. That that is the ending. <laughs> he, he he was in exile and he wrote all of his most famous poems after while he was in exile. Oh like, really? Captain's verses, which is the the book the collection that I really like mm-hmm. that that was all written hmm. in exile. Yeah. Oh, so he liked exile. Well, <laughs> he didn't. He you yeah. know? Do you ever really like exile? Maybe. I don't know. If you're if you're Hemingway, it's not really exile; it's just expatriation, and you're just enjoying the movable feast. Well, that didn't honestly turn out too well either, did it? I don't know. Did he die? I think he died in the U.S. Right? Didn't he shoot himself? Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not end up like Hemingway. Let's go get some popcorn. Sounds good. Do you like the Dresden Files novels, tabletop role-playing games, improv, adventure, or butt jokes? If not, I don't know if we can help you. Hi there, this is Michael, the host and game master for Green Mountain Mysteries, a Dresden Files RPG actual play podcast about four ersatz heroes fighting wizards and monsters in Burlington, Vermont. Come for the grand urban fantasy adventure full of diverse characters. Stay for the many butt jokes. Seriously, one of the players is playing a proctologist. It's just chef's kiss. You can listen to new episodes of Green Mountain Mysteries every Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Okay, one more thing. I want to talk about the music. The music! How could I forget? Yes. The thing about... there's Okay, there's some scenes where it almost sounds like the music is an orchestra tuning up. In a way. And specifically the scenes where Pollution O is like questioning the nature of his reality. And I like that a lot. Because the score feels like this unfocused like kind of lazy thing. But that's also kind of chaotic. Yeah, it was almost completely strings, I think. Yeah, there were some like, maybe some winds and horns in there. But like, it was very, very much symphonic. They used um, Ace's Death from... um... Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. There's a you, you there's mentioned a, that. Um There's like this guy. This guy. <laughs> this composer, you I would know. imagine. Uh starts the G. Grim Grim Grieg. You've heard of Grieg. Oh, I've heard of Grieg. Yeah. So he made these different um pieces to go with a play about like Iceland oh. or something? Oh, so like a, a, oh, it's from Pure Gint. Yeah, Pure Gint. That you've heard of this. I've heard of Pure Gint. Yeah, the, he's, the, an, or, he's the a Norwegian Mountain dude. King. He's a Norwegian dude. Yeah, it was written for Ibsen's for one of Ibsen's play Henrik Ibsen, the Icelandic yeah. playwright. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You see, see, I knew I was on something. I I'm honestly not that familiar with it, but that's oh, so I had to play like excerpts from it from my orchestra days so so that's how you. so and they played that one theme a lot which i think is what you're talking about the tuning up thing yeah the death of ace <laughs> mm-hmm. okay that's 
In the so in the hall, the mountain king is from the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So I see. I, I it to me it all felt like score. Oh no 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 no! Barely any of that was original. Actually, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a choice. Yeah. Oh. Because they definitely played a lot. Music supervisors that. are so cool. Like, that's such a cool job. Yeah, sometimes I've, you have to tell the music to calm down. <laughs> well, I talked to you about this before, how much I freaking love Damon Lindelof's music supervisor. The guy on I Watchmen and The Leftovers. I think you just want to say Leftovers. Lindelof. Lindelof, excuse me. Sorry. But but I'm just saying, the, the way that they use music cues in both Watchmen and The Leftovers is, like, a really good example <laughs> of using existing music as an enhancement of the storytelling. But there's something... Well, yeah, why would you... Okay... There's no need to make a score, honestly, because there's just so much music out there. No. <laughs> Whatever. I'm well, see, gonna... you didn't even know. You didn't even. <laughs> I'm just saying that Zimmer's score for Dune is gonna fucking bomb. Oh no! I'm so ready for Zimmer War to score music. that movie. War music. Oh no! Sorry, I'm just I'm just imagining like DJ Khaled yelling like. We the worm music! Oh no. Another worm! Alright, well. <laughs> I think we're done here. <laughs> how are we rating this movie? How many how many lines of poetry are we giving no. it? No. How many I am I ams? Iambic feet. How many I don't know. Let's just give this some, give Let's this just, a number. Yeah. I think I went first last time. Fine. 4.5. Easily. Wow. Easily 4.5. I'm engaged the whole time. I'm seeing stuff that I missed the first time. I'm like, whenever a movie makes me talk that much and that long, honestly, 4.75. Like, wow. this, like... I have been sparing with my fives, but I almost gave this one one. Like, let's... Wow. I, I fucking love this movie. Like, if if anything, I, could, I, I would have wanted more of it. Like, I feel like there were some things that could have been explored a little bit more. Mm. I love it. Very good. No notes. Oh, I gotta love my score then. Oh, boy. 3.9. You were bored, weren't you? <laughs> Maybe, I, I think you mentioned that it was a little less exciting for you on the second It watch. was a little less exciting this time. And I think, I well, part of it was a splitting the watch, probably. But, um, I don't know. Probably just me being a boring, like, person. No. <laughs> I think that we can both agree that the performances get five stars easily, though. From Louis Nieko and... Yeah, and Gael. And yeah. Gael, like, beautiful. Beautiful. I think I would have liked love to see it. a little more action. I think it was... Uh... It didn't need a, an ounce of action. I loved it. It was perfect. Maybe more horses. But you said it yourself, I think I'm just a Hollywood. No, I didn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> We're a part of the Pocket Podcast Network. Other podcasts on the network include... No Dice. Cult Classics. Green Mountain Mysteries. And Pokemakers. You can check all of those and more out on pocketpodcastnetwork.com. Our theme music is by... The Organ Machines. It's from their first EP, Parallels. The song's called Oil Waves. You can find it on Bandcamp or Spotify. They got 
a couple new singles that they put out in the past year that you should definitely check out. There's music videos, all that great stuff. I don't know what we're watching next. I forgot to look at it beforehand. Should I go find out? I'm going to go find out. I am walking. Go find out. I'm going to come back. I'm going to tell you about it in just a second. Ooh. Uh oh. Well, we talked about noir. We talked about noir a little bit. Noir. The next movie that we're going to watch is The Nice Guys. Ah. Mm hmm. It's been a while. Bit of Ryan Gosling. Bit That's of... the only thing I know about it. Russell Crowe. You Russell forgot about Crow. Russell Crowe? Bit of Ryan Gosling, bit of Russell Crowe. Should be a good time. Should be enjoyable. I can't hear Russell Crowe without thinking about his divorce sale. <laughs> We're going to talk about it next time. We're going to talk about it next time. Until next time, I'm John. And I'm Bethany. We've been home viewing. Don't buy any more DVDs. Nobody looks at it that way but you. We all saw him drowning, but you were the one with the blood on your hands. Sing it, I never saw the Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.